Well, good morning. Uh, I always love this morning because uh, you guys are always a little bit more alive after you've had an extra hour. I can tell it. I, I, I came into the room and it was like quarter till nine and I thought, what's going on in here? And I was like, ah, they got an extra hour. And what a great reminder. I got saved. Uh, dead, undone, because I was dead and done. Right? Really. We were dead and done in our sin, and the mercy of God saved us. So uh, I would just echo Matt's invitation to you. If you are uncertain, you got saved, or you've always thought, as Sarah, the testimony that was shared, thought that, that salvation was something that you've earned, and you've wondered, have you crossed the line of you have sinned more than what you could be forgiven? The grace of God says... You are saved by that, the grace of God, not by your works. You could never do enough. That's why Jesus died on our behalf. So I invite you to know the saving work of Jesus on your behalf. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to know it. And it's a completely different thing to receive it and to be saved and to be made new in Christ and have the Holy Spirit now in our lives, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so we're in Ephesians 5 in this series, talking about what it would mean for those who have been born again, who were undone by the mercy of God, what it would mean for us to live spirit-filled lives. And we have defined, if you've missed it for the last two weeks, a spirit-filled life in this way. A spirit-filled life is one that is fully and continually submitted to his word. Now, I'm not saying we always are fully and continually submitted to his word. I am saying that when we're spirit-filled, that's what we're doing. We are under the word of God, fully and continually. In every area of my life, in every circumstance in my life, I am living under the authority of the word of God. When I am there under the word of God, submitted to the word of God, then here's what happens. All that he is... In me, the person of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, in me, all that he is in me, then flows through me. And the key is that a spirit-filled life is God flowing through a person, being like Jesus, who was 100% human, but 100% God. So God was fully and completely revealed through him. When you and I are undone by the mercy of God, here's the picture that we've been given. When we are saved, the Bible says that God pours himself in his spirit into us so that we are baptized in him, one with him. We have been indwelt by God himself. And no matter what we do, Once we have been saved, he will not take his spirit nor our salvation from us because we're not only indwelt by the spirit, we are sealed by the spirit. But a spirit-filled life is not simply a life that has the Holy Spirit. A spirit-filled life is a life that under the word of God, being filled with the power of God, overflows the presence of God to everyone around them. So that God is filling the home, the marriage, the relationship. 
And I grieve the Spirit when I remove myself from under the Word of God. When I step out under, from under the Word of God, when I go from here to here, because I think, well, this doesn't make sense, or I've tried this and it's not working, or mm, that would be hard, this would be easier. Because this would be hard, yes? And this would be easier, many times. Which is why Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to make the hard easier. I came to make the impossible possible. To make the impossible in your life, the impossible in your marriage, the impossible in your home, the impossible in your circumstance, possible because God himself is in the midst. So we don't grieve the spirit by stepping out from under the word of God. We stay under, and as we stay under, we are filled with the spirit. And it not only impacts me, it impacts all around me. So then last week, we looked at verses 19, 20, and 21. So if you haven't opened your Bible up, let me invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 5, because in those three verses, 19, 20, and 21, we learned four Spirit-filled practices. The first, that speaking truth to one another. And it said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we had a phenomenal opportunity to listen to one another as one after another came up on the stage and read truth to us. Really encouraged by this text from a man in our body. I had previously avoided quoting Psalms to suffering believers, fearing how it would come across. But Ephesians 5.19 has changed my mind. Do you hear that? Has the word of God ever changed your mind? Where you thought one thing, I don't know if I want to quote Psalms to believers. And then you read it. Speak to one another in Psalms. Because the guy went, ah, it didn't seem right to. It is right. And then he sent to me because he had a man at his work whose wife unexpectedly died. And not of older age, late 40s. So he spoke to him with Psalm, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. You will again bring me up. That's the truth of the Psalms spoken. We speak to one another in love. Don't shrink back in fear. Don't shrink it back in doubt. Believe that the word of God speaks to the human heart like no other words. Don't try to think of something cute or catchy to say yourself. Let God speak in the time of need. Speak to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing to the Lord. I don't know if you sang in a way this morning that you haven't in the past in obedience to this text, but I hope so. I hope, I'd love to see the text that said, or the email that said, hey, Doug, I, I, I didn't used to sing, but Ephesians five nineteen and 20 changed my mind. Now I sing. I don't sing great, but I sing. And I give thanks in all things and for all things, always. That's a spirit-filled life. Uh, A thankful heart blesses. The scripture actually says, 
When we give thanks in all things, we are doing the will of God, and we are shining like stars in a dark world. My own personal journey in this has been to recognize when I will take that which is hard in my life and say, thank you, Lord. That which was hard that felt like my adversary becomes the instrument of God in my life. Not that I'm against, but that I believe, God, you're using this for me. It doesn't mean it's easier or I like it, but I am thankful that it's not an adversary. It's an instrument of God. I can't explain it, but I am confident that if you will take that which is hard and that you are trying to resist in your life and say, Lord, thank you, I trust you, the adversary will become the instrument of God for good. And then it said, verse 21, subject yourselves to one another. And that simply means what? Considering others more important than yourself. Considering others more important than yourself. Now, let me ask you a question. In your Bible, if you have your Bible open there, I want you to put your hand up if you have in your Bible a break between verse 21 and 22 and, and some author or some editor inserted a heading between 21 and 22. Let me see your hands. Almost all, anybody have a Bible that doesn't? A few of you? Yeah. Uh, there's like 10% who have, don't have a break between 21 and 22. Now, why am I making that point? Because I think in putting a break between 21 and 22, it makes us interpret 22 through 27 differently. So I want us to go back and read verse 21, even though we looked at it at the end of last week, I'm going to read verse 21 and then through verse 27. Follow along with me. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, now he turns to you. Husbands, love your wives. Eat just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. All right, let's stop there, and we'll look at the rest of that passage next week. But here's what I don't want you to miss. The reason I don't want to separate 21 from that passage is, does it say that there is to be subjection? It said in verse 21, be subject to whom? One another. Who does that apply to? Who's that apply to? It says to one another. He first applies it to wives. He says, a spirit-filled wife subjects herself to her husband, how? By submitting to his leadership. That's her role in how she applies verse 21. Be subject to one another. But here's why I think we should not separate 21 from this pas- verse 21 from this passage. Because 
does it say that husbands ought to subject themselves? See, this is going to make some of you like, oh, I don't know, that doesn't sound right to me. Be subject to one another. Wives to your husbands by submission. Husbands, how? Spirit-filled husbands subject himself to his wife by doing for her what Christ did for the church, sacrificially loving her. See, why is this so important? Well, let me let you write that down. I see a number of you writing. Why is this so important? Because coming to this text, here's what people say to me. Oh, boy, don't envy you teaching that one. Oh, man, that's going to be a rough one. I don't think this is a rough passage at all. I think this is a phenomenal passage. And you may think, yeah, because you're the husband. (laughs) I don't think this is a rough passage at all. Because an interpretation that says, be subject to one another, wives to your husbands, and then forgets the husbands, is not an accurate understanding. Now, you may be uncomfortable. I've never heard husbands subject yourselves to your wives. It's right in the text. It's just the application of how I consider others more important than myself in the marriage. The wife by saying, I'll submit to your leadership. The husband by saying, I'll lay my life down for you. You see it? See, this is not a text that I need to tiptoe through the tulips in. This is a text that I believe with all of my heart that if we would not go, "Eh, I don't really like that, and I get it, because who really wants to sacrificially lay your life down? You know, the Bible even says, hey, you might do that for a good man, but, mm. And who wants to submit? I understand why we go from here to here, but would you agree with me? God created marriage. Yeah, if you're not sure about that, join us next week. Seriously, we're going to go back and, and look at what God did when he created marriage. And when he created marriage, he said, here's how marriage in all of its beauty will function. A husband will sacrificially love. And a wife will joyfully submit. And they will experience oneness and reflect the beauty of the church and the beauty of God like no other. So as we jump into looking specifically at this, I I know there will be every temptation to go, (laughs) believe that the God who created marriage knows how it's intended to function with joy and in a way that honors him in a way that will cause you to overflow and cause your marriage to overflow with the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the blessing of others. So let's look specifically. Spirit-filled husband, what's he do? And he said he loves his wife and he loves his wife 
in a very specific way. He loves his wife as Jesus loved the church. How did he love the church? It says, by laying himself down for her. He was willing to die, obedient to the Father. See, remember again, the cross was not a place where they took Jesus' life. The cross was the place where Jesus, in obedience to the Father, offered his life. He willingly laid his life down in obedience to the Father, to the glory of the Father, and he is saying to you, husband, me as a husband, I want you to do for your wife what you did, what I did for you in obedience to the Father. You, in obedience to me, lay your life down. There's a, a dying involved. See, it cracks me up, guys. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, man, I love my wife. She can't have the remote, but I love my wife. <laughs> the laying down of our lives is not a one-time deal where we say, I do at the altar. It's a continual considering others more important than self. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He leads his wife. Loves his wife as Christ loved the church and he leads his wife. How? Uh, under the leadership of Jesus. He leads his wife. Here's the key. As he follows Jesus. You see, it, being the leader doesn't mean, oh, I get to do whatever I want. I'm the leader. I know you might get tired of this. Don't. Husbands, we live here. We live under the word of God as leaders. We don't live here. We live here. The best, most godly leaders are humble followers of the leader. You want to lead well in your home, be a man of the word. You want to lead well in your home, Learn to follow Jesus. Want to lead well in your home? Then humble yourself to the word of God and the leadership of Jesus. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. See, maybe it's easier for me to see this as a leader here at the church. I understand. We don't get to sit around and go, well, what do we think we should do? How do we think we should function? What do we do? As leaders in a local church, what do we do? We get under the word of God and we go, what's God intend for the church? And what's God say about the church function? And how should we treat one another? And how should we call people to love one another? And how should we instruct? We don't, we don't speak from here. We speak from here. I see that so clearly as we are ones who seek to lead under the headship of Jesus. And so I simply can go, husbands, pastor your home. 
be the spiritual leader in your home in the same way that you would want your elders to be spiritual leaders at the church. Lead under the headship of Jesus. And you'll be a blessing to your wife. She will be grateful for you. You see, we ask ourselves, what's the scripture say marriage should look like? What's the scripture say raising kids should look like? What's the scripture say handling our finances should look like? What's the scripture say about how we should engage our neighbors? And then we lead from that point. How does a godly leader lead? Jesus said this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles How do they lead? Lording it over them. You all know that type of leader. Some of you work for that type of leader, and you hate it, right? They just play the boss card all the time. They do stupid stuff and say stupid stuff, and they make stupid decisions because they get to. And you can't stand it, husbands. And then you're tempted to go home and do the same thing. And to be that guy that you can't stand. Jesus said, that is not the way, guys, we're going to lead. That's not the way we do it. Here's the way we do it. They, they exercise authority over them. It's not that way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you, you shall be your, I want husbands to say it, be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave just as the son of man see we're always as leaders following the leader just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many i understand in our culture it's like ah that's the bible's terrible who would ever subject a woman to be submissive to her husband. What if that husband loved like Jesus, led like Jesus, and was a servant like Jesus? You see? You see, guys? And even if you're single and not yet married, Be all ears right now, please. We spend hundreds of hours preparing for wedding ceremonies and very few hours preparing for the marriage to follow. It's a mistake, by the way. Sorry, wedding planners, that's a mistake. We had to spend more hours in preparing for the marriage than for the ceremony. So guys, love like Jesus lead under the leadership of Jesus and serve instead of lording authority over her. What I want you to hear as you write that down is the problem with marriage is not that God has given distinct roles of leader and follower. The problem is when leaders don't lead as God intended leaders to lead. That's what squirrels it, guys. That's what makes it a mess. When guys lead 
Husbands, when we live out of a selfish heart, when we do what we want to do because we get to have the say, you wouldn't want to submit to that either, would you? No, you wouldn't. So don't be that guy. If you've been that guy, then go to your wife and say, Please forgive me for being that guy, for not being a loving, sacrificial servant leader. The problem is not roles. The problem is how we have either interpreted it and we have seen subjection in the marriage to be only the wife and how we've applied it, taking our authority, and lording it over for our own purposes and our own good. So, here's the question that gets really hard. A spirit-filled husband, what's he have to die to? (laughs) In other words, you understand, remember this three-drawer dresser? Before we came to Christ, we only lived out of the bottom drawer, our flesh, what we wanted to do for ourselves, what served us. And then we came to Christ, and he saved us, and he poured his spirit into us, and he gave us new thoughts, and we placed ourselves under the word of God, and with new thoughts, we put on new behaviors. We put off this, the stuff that we would have done prior to being born again. This is the, this is the Lord eating over drawer, Right? So, uh, guys, husbands, women, you may not answer this. I know you know the answers, but you may not answer this. Guys, husbands, what do we need to die to if we're going to live spirit-filled lives in our marriage? Ourselves. Somebody give me something else. The flesh. Somebody give me something else. What's that? Ego. All right, we're all in the big category, self, flesh, ego. Somebody give me something specific. Oh, that's still, that's, that's even bigger now, sin. Somebody give me something more specific, like, like yesterday. Okay, you might have to die to some sports, some hobby. Really? Really? Can a husband love his wife and do everything and every hobby as much as he wants, as long as he wants? Probably not. Now, some of you are like, hmm. Yeah? Oh. I don't get to do everything I want. Whenever I want. For as long as I want. Am I bitter about it? I could be. But why wouldn't I be? Well, that's next week. Seriously. Because some, some guys are sacrificing, but they're like really bitter about it. I'm laying down my wife. Uh, uh, uh. Miserable. Yeah, there's a different perspective. Uh, I think guys, passivity. You know, it's hard to lead, right? It's risky to lead. And what we've all discovered is our wives are happy to do so. Correct? 
Okay, yeah, wives, you're allowed to answer that one. The wives are happy to do so, right? Yes, often so. And so what do guys do? Eh, it's just easier to let her. Because, you know, this isn't the Bible, but we believe it more than the Bible. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. We all believe that one. So why don't you just let her lead, and then she'll be happy. And then I'll be happy. I just changed the channel. We have to reject passivity. Because guys were prone to be passive because leadership can be hard. We have to reject passivity or laziness. It takes work. Work to lay down your life. Work to lead. We have to reject passivity. We have to put aside laziness. Fear takes courage. Because might you be wrong? <laughs> yeah, guys, if we're, if we're not prepared to say that one, then we're in big trouble. Might we be wrong? <laughs> yes. But we're called to lead. <laughs> so it takes courage, and we have to die to fear. And, of course, that one accomplishes it, uh, encompasses it all. But all I want us to see, guys, is this. We cannot put on love and leadership and service until we're prepared to die to what? Laziness, passivity, fear, and self. If you want to try and be a spirit-filled husband who never has to die, you can't. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there's dying involved in loving, leading, and serving. All right. Ladies, wives, what's the scripture say to you? Uh, a spirit-filled wife submits to her husband. And it says, she submits to her husband as unto the Lord. The husband loves, leads, serves. The wife submits to her husband. It's not hard to understand. It's not easy to do. It's not hard to understand that. That means you, you follow his lead. You place yourself under his headship. As unto the Lord. That's not a, a throwaway. Verse 20, 20, 20, Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, when you place yourself under, as a spirit-filled wife, as you place yourself under the leadership of your husband, you are doing so as unto the Lord. Now, is he the Lord? <laughs> no, not always. I hope, I hope... Your husband will be growing in the Lord. But even as he is growing in the Lord, when you submit to his leadership, you're doing it as unto the Lord. Well, watch as it continues. 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. How? As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to the husbands in everything they agree with. <laughs> oh, it didn't say that, did it? Uh, I, I will still remember the day sitting at a table over in our B building where a wife said, well, I only need to submit when I agree. And I thought she was joking and I laughed out loud. <laughs> and then I found out she was actually serious. I only need to submit when I agree. I, I don't know how to say this any more clearly. If you agree, you didn't need to submit. Correct? Submission actually only becomes real when you disagree. <laughs> and this doesn't have to be you disagree because he's wrong. Ever disagree with what the Lord has done in your life? Oh, now you're like, mm. yeah. I know what I know what it's like to go, I know the the Lord is right in this because he's always right. And I know you don't have that privilege, <laughs> wives, but there are times that I've thought, Lord, what are you doing? When I, when my heart is humble, I submit to the Lord. And so, wives, the scripture says, you submit to the Lord as unto the Lord, you submit to your husband, even if you disagree. Is there a caveat? Yeah, we get this in the scripture. Unless his leadership is contrary to his leader. In other words, if his leadership is leading you to something that is against the Lord. It's unbiblical. It's immoral. It's illegal. Then, understand, you do not submit to him because you could not submit to him and be submitting as unto the Lord because his leadership is against the Scriptures. But in everything that is not contrary to his leader, there is submission. And then verse 33, if you drop down, after unpacking the, this role and what God had intended to marriage, he, he adds this in verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So a wife submits as unto the Lord, even if she disagrees, unless it's against I don't know. I just realized. Did it say this in the last side conforming? 
should say contrary. Does it say contrary in your message, Mama? Okay, I just, want, I just was like, well, I'm not sure that why it says conforming to his leader. So say contrary to his leader. She respects her husband as her God-ordained leader. Practical application. I always cringe when publicly I experience a wife disrespecting, mocking, exposing her husband's weaknesses or failures. Whether it's in a group or online, and it doesn't make it better if it's in a prayer request. <laughs> Pray for my slacker husband. <laughs> now, let's be, let me be very uh, clear here. I understand the temptation for all of us to be asking, our, all of us who are married, to be asking ourselves, how's my spouse doing with this? <laughs> and that's not where we start. Where do we start? How am I doing with this? Am I quenching the spirit in any way, not under the scriptures, so that the life of God is not overflowing in our home? So that it's not overflowing in a manner that blesses our kids or those who experience us. So ask yourself, husbands, Where are you in terms of what the text says to you? It's not your responsibility. The text doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. That is her responsibility to the Lord. What do you do? You love, lead as a follower, and you serve. And she, unto the Lord, is responsible for how she responds to the scriptures. So, ladies, let me ask you as wives, what do you need to continually die to? What was that first word? Control. Imagine that. <laughs> That's hard. I don't laugh because it's easier. It's, that's hard. That's what is so difficult. Thursday night, uh, the quick answer was autonomy. Anything else, wives? Fear. fear. Pride, fear. Yeah, there's that, what, place myself under that, what's the fear? How's he going to lead? What does in everything going to include? And the fear of being out of control, right? Jealousy.
You know, I think it's maybe easy for, for one, for some wives to look at other husbands and go, oh, I'd be a lot easier if I was married to him. I have a little uh, clue for you. You probably don't know him. <laughs> you probably know the public him. So a spirit-filled wife, before she's going to be able to do what the, under the Lord, what the Lord says, is going to have to die as well. So a couple practical questions. If both spouses are subjecting themselves to one another, then who gets their way? It's a little bit like when the meek inherit the earth. Will anybody step up and claim it? So, you know, really, if a husband's going, no, you, and she's going, no, you, and no, you, and no, you, and no, you, uh, I mean, who gets their way? Here's the beauty of it, both. Because my way was, what you want? No, I want what you want. No, I want what you want. Here's the hard lesson that I have learned. And I get to teach this with my wife in the front row, so, you know, I get to keep it real. Uh, here's the hard lesson I learned. You can come to the same conclusion in either a really ugly, divisive way or a good, life-giving way. And it all depends whether that conclusion came to from, I give or, no, I take. See, at some point, a decision gets made. And it's a determination of how you got there. There's never joy in the, no, I'm, prote- I'm getting what I want. Now, if I get what I want because it was given... Now there's life. Or Jackie gets what she wants because it was given, not because she demanded it. Now there's life. You see that? See, we all end up with decisions. It just depends whether we got there with life or death to self. If we get there, the death to self in order to give, is it fun to receive Yes, and Jesus said it's even better to, to give. So that's what I mean. In any decision, somebody gives and somebody receives. And when the decision is given in the being given, then there's life. So it's not a problem. It'll never be a problem if both subject themselves to one another. Second practical question, will sacrificial love by the husband or submission by the wife ever become easy? My wife says no. Will it? No. Can it become easier? Yeah, I'm serious here. If you're waiting till, oh, I can't wait, wait till this gets easy. See you in heaven. (laughs) But can it become easier? Hey, guys, husbands, 
when we sacrificially love and lead as followers and don't lord over but serve. doesn't make it easy to submit, but it makes it easier. You can make it harder. You can make it easier. You're not accountable, but you can make it for what they do. But you can make it harder. You can make it easier. When husbands are self-serving egomaniacs, they make it so hard for their wives. And wives, when you respect your husband, you respect the role that God has given. And you submit. You know you make it easier for your husband to lay down his life, to sacrifice, to lead. You make it easier for him. It's still hard to lead. still takes courage. still takes sacrifice. But you make it easier for him when he knows not well, my every decision is not going to get crucified and criticized and publicized. You make it easier. So it's not going to get easy, but it will get easier. So last week, here's what we did. Last week, we, uh, we read the scripture, and then we did it. So here's what we're going to do this week. We're going to invite anyone who is married, and my wife doesn't even know this, unless somebody told her. Uh, I'm going to invite anybody who's married, uh, after you go get your kids, if you have kids, to meet me over there on the patio to the table out my right. If you're over in North, come the whole way over to the table, the patio right here to the table, and we're going to give an opportunity for renewing your vows according to the scriptures. And you may think, oh, I'm not dressed up. That's the point. Because for your wedding, you got all dressed up. And then you went, oh, this is different than I thought. The life was different than the ceremony. This will be real life. So I'm going to invite anybody who's married. And you may go, uh, we're at a really hard spot right now. Could we do that next week? Because <laughs> that's happened. Jackie and I still remember back when we had, um, oh, what's his name? What? Nicholas Ellen. Yeah, Nicholas Ellen. Do the marriage conference here. Well, it was a Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday night. It was a bad night. We had dinner with him, great dinner. And then I did something stupid, but I didn't realize. It. And then Jackie told me how I had hurt her. And I was like, ah, it wasn't that big a deal. So that really helped. Um, <laughs> So we're sitting right here in the second row for the marriage conference, and he's saying, talk to one another. And we're like, yeah. I was so glad I didn't have to introduce him that night. So I understand what it's like to be at a, in a really like a, man, you don't know what just happened last night or this morning. Because that's happened to Jackie and I, and we would have had to go, we've got to have a conversation before we can not fake it. So I don't expect you to fake it. Better to have a real conversation and then go, hey, can we do this? (laughs) 
But if you go, oh, this would be something you'd want to do. Meet us 1045. Got to go get your kids. And it'll be 1045 over there after I do Q&A. And my wife might join me in (laughs) Q&A. I said might. And the the Q&A will be on at the table. I know it's not the prettiest day. I said, Lord, give us a pretty day. And he did. Prettier than yesterday. Um, (laughs) So uh, meet us there. If, If you have lost a spouse... I know you have an ache in your heart right now, and you're going, oh, I can't believe. I feel so alone in this moment. I've not forgotten you. I invite you to come and thank the Lord. Stand and thank the Lord for the spouse that God had blessed you with. Or if you're single, I invite you to come on over and celebrate with the couples and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be that person for that moment when you bring a spouse for me. So, it's not a requirement. We didn't do it in the room. It's an invitation for anybody uh, who'd like to join us. We had a couple married 62 years Thursday night had decided to renew their vows. So, very, very cool. Lord, thanks for your word. And thanks for the gift of marriage. Thanks for your spirit that gives us all that we need to do what you said. So we don't run from sacrifice and service as husbands or submission and respect as wives. We place ourselves under your word that your spirit would fill us and overflow with blessing on our marriage. Thank you for that gift. And I do pray your comfort for those who mourn this morning the loss of a spouse or who mourn that they don't have a spouse. Lord, would you grant to them, bring to them, prepare them for marriage. That would be your will. We love you. Thank you for loving us perfectly. In Christ's name, amen. Give me sound. Okay. It's not one-on-one. Vow renewal. Okay, I'm not standing there till 7 o'clock tonight. It's a mass vow renewal. It'll be one-on-one with your spouse, but I'm not doing this one couple at a time. Do I look crazy? Okay, so is that clear? All right, see you over there.